You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Yeah, Bill, I'm just pretty gutted. Um, you know, it's a long season. You put so much into it <clears throat> to get to this point. Uh, and then, you know, the way, you know, we had our chances. It didn't work out, so hindsight's twenty twenty, and obviously we gotta come up with a better way of communicating. If, if there's something in particular that he wants, then I can call it. And, but uh, like I said, it, it just didn't work out, and we gotta try to learn from it and move on. Um, if I had known we were gonna kick it, if we had get it, you know, maybe something else would have been. Uh, Maybe got with uh, some sort of uh, you know crossing routes maybe there uh, instead, but I thought we you know maybe we're gonna have four chances to go. Hello again, Cheesehead Nation. Here we are. We are back with another episode of Cheesehead Radio in our 11th season. Here at the end of what is a hacker season ended too soon. Our host tonight are the fit-to-be-tied Kelly Hodson, known as That Packer Girl on Twitter. Also joining us is the bent-out-of-shape and cranky C.D. Angeli, Tundra Vision on Twitter, and little old me, the still-enraged Jersey Al of Packers Talk and Cheesehead TV. You can find me at Jersey Al GBP on Twitter. We don't have any predictions tonight. We don't care about the Super Bowl. We're not making predictions there. So let's just get on with the Packers playbook. The playbook. All right, Cheesehead family. I don't know if we're having as much of a Packers playbook tonight as we are perhaps a Packers postmortem. It's an open Pat- book. It's an open Pat- playbook. It's an autopsy. Let's <laughs> it's not, an autopsy. Let's not mince words. Man. Get off, get him on the slab. Let's take a look. So the Green Bay Packers, I think with all of the momentum in the world, I think for as many NFC championships as we've gone to, this was probably the one we probably went into with the most confidence. Uh, went up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think against all of our predictions, uh, for sure, uh, the Packers really kind of laid an egg. Uh, it wasn't enough against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And once again, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers whisked out of the Super Bowl chase once again. See, uh, that's the whisked out was very nice with the egg uh, reference there. So that was well done there. And <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say that uh, uh, that they didn't just lay an egg; they laid about a dozen eggs. Okay, all throughout that game. I mean, they did. You know, if it's not as bad as the other NFC Championship game against that team, the Bird team on the West Coast, whose <laughs> whose name we don't say, and I that feel game, like you're speaking in code. In that game, we don't really speak about. It's not as bad as that. However, if you want to look at like mistakes and giving games away, it's almost as bad as that. Do you agree? Yeah, speaking of that other NFC, shortly after the loss on Sunday night, a unnamed, an unnamed tight end popped up and said, "Are you going to blame me this for this one too?" 
<laughs> that did make me laugh. But no, this was. Did you see T.J. Lang's re- reply? Oh, to what a jack wagon! Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's one of those blocked. Don't even want to look, look at him anymore. Well, oh. anyway, comparing these two games, I think the other NFC loss was heartbreaking because it was such an abrupt. Oh my god, we we're not going. Where this was a death by a thousand paper cuts and. From the very first drive, I had a bad feeling about this game. I don't know. Um, it was pretty uh, abrupt to me, I, I thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't slow and painful to me. Um, but the the abruptness or the thing that really cut, I guess, if you want to talk about abruptness, would be that, uh, that play um, before the end of the second half. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. that was to me the entire game right there that changed everything the entire dynamic of that game and was that just the packers thinking oh they're not gonna try let's just let's just pack it in you know go regroup at halftime or what we still haven't quite figured out what the packers were thinking kelly we've been discussing it for days (sighs) and we still haven't quite figured it out Al, talk us through the play for a second, just just so our listeners, in case they're listening in Indonesia or All something right. like that, what, what, what happened here? <laughs> so, so it was it's bad. A, it's, a, it's a fourth down, right? And it looks like uh, the Bucks are going to punt. You know, Brady goes off to the sideline. Everyone thinks they're punting. Next thing you know, the Bucks offense is back on the field. They're going for it. Okay, they're going for it. Well, it's fourth down. There's eight seconds left. Uh, what could they possibly do? Well, there's two things, right? One, they could try to throw like a quick out, get another five or six yards, and maybe try a long field goal, okay? Probably would have been a 50-something yard field goal. Or the other thing they could do is just throw a Hail Mary, let's say, right? Okay. So as a defensive coordinator, which one of those two things would you be more concerned (laughs) about? It's not a trick question, right? You'd want to keep them out of the end zone, right, with eight seconds left in the half. Well, the defensive coordinator decided to call man coverage with a single safety, and you've got Kevin King covering man-to-man, probably the fastest receiver on the on the Bucks, and just looking like a complete fool as he gets beat for a touchdown in the end zone. What was a 14-10 game... Now, 21-10 at halftime. Changed everything. The thing that bothered me most, I think, in this entire game, and I kind of predicted it last week. I said, you know, Tom Brady throws these lollipops. And, and we, we saw the example, you know, on the other side of, you know, in the other half where a very easy interception was dropped. And I said that had to happen for the Packers to win. But Tom Brady never went back and just fired it. He threw these high lobbing passes all game long. Yeah. I mean, that pass on that play was not a, a you know a bullet into the end zone. It was this high looping pass that I'm like, is anyone within 15 yards? Because all you have to do is make up the distance and it's knocked down and nobody was there. And that's the way it was the whole game. Nobody was there and he was able to loop all these balls into these wide open spaces. It was so frustrating. And this is one of the areas where I get very critical, not just at Kevin King, but at Mike Pettin. This is a similarity I saw with that other NFC Championship game against Seattle, where the opposing team 
made, diagnosed who is the liability on the field. And when he played Seattle, it was Brad Jones. I don't fault Brian Bostic for losing that game. I faulted Brad Jones for being lost in time and space more than anything. And they exploited it then. This past weekend, they learned quickly. And they probably knew it based on the tape they, they reviewed as well, that Kevin King was the liability when it came to coverage. He always is, you know, his alligator arms, can't tackle, and he really has not been an interception threat. And they took advantage of it. Not just that one time, but several times throughout the game. And I wondered, is it Kevin's fault or is it his coach's fault? Well, ultimately, the buck stops in that situation with Pettin because why did they bring in Tremont Williams if he's just going to sit on the bench? Because Kevin King was outmatched the entire game. Um, okay, I'm trying to find something wrong with all that, but <laughs> I'm not having a lot of luck here, uh, except for one thing. Uh, Tremont Williams really would, I don't think you would bring him in to just play, bring him in to, to play man, uh, outside corner. You know, you, if no. anything, what they should have done was have him take some of Chandon Sullivan snaps. Cause Chandon Sullivan was no picnic either. Oh, he struggled the entire game as well. Right. He didn't get beat for the big play like Kevin King did. So, you know, people are kind of giving him a bit of a pass. But they threw at him a lot, and there were a lot of third-down passes that were completed on on Chandon Sullivan's, um, you know, man. So and he that's asked- what I would have done. It's just, And that's where Tremont can operate better is in the slot. So I would have at least brought him in there for a little bit and – if nothing else, just evaluate, okay, who's doing better, Sullivan or Tremont, and decide Neither one. There. Neither one, because I thought early on in for the first quarter, that's where Chandon Sullivan started making his mistakes. And that's when, and like you said, they started marching down the field. We also have to remember that as much as we're ripping on our secondary, our our pass rushers, our, they, they did not get any pressure on Tom Brady all game. I think one sack. We had the entire game. And a couple of knockdowns. A couple yeah. of pressures, but nothing major. You're absolutely right. 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 So I mean if you get I mean, if you give a rookie quarterback, you give Caleb Haney uh or any of these guys five, six, seven seconds untouched in the pocket, they're gonna complete a pass on you. You give Tom Brady five, six seconds in the pocket, he's gonna eviscerate you. I mean, yeah, he did not go to Jair Alexander. Let's let's be Let's be sure about that. Jair did not get picked on very much by Tom Brady, but Jair Island was Jair Island, and then he just picked on everyone else, whether it be Kevin King or Sullivan or whomever. Yeah, I mean, ironically, the two times that he did throw to to Jair's man, the man that he was covering, were interceptions. (laughs) So that helped the Packers, or we thought it was going to help the Packers, but the offense kind of dropped the ball on those. Definitely. All right, well, let's move on a little bit. We got uh, <clears throat> talk a little bit about Marcus Valdez-Scantling. I don't know who put that in there. Take it that away. That was me. Um, for all the criticism he had all season, he was the most consistent player, I thought, last week. He was catching everything lobbed at him, and at times it felt like he was putting the team on his back. When other things weren't working, he was the old reliable. Yeah, and, and uh, on the touch, you know, the touchdown pass that he caught that play – they tried the exact same play later on, and Rodgers just didn't throw it as well. It would have been another touchdown. <laughs> you know, he would have had a multiple touchdown game. That's just another thing that uh, – another opportunity lost there. And this whole game was all about opportunities lost. 
for the Packers. And, and was it just me, or did you think that Rodgers was a little too antsy for like three quarters of the game? You know, he was overshooting. It was on him and not the receivers, I thought, for a lot of the game. Uh, I don't know. Antsy? He seemed well, amped up, and he was like over overshooting, you know, fly, fire, firing outside the end zone many times when it wasn't like he was trying to throw it away. Well, I'll 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 take it a little bit further. I, I don't know if he was necessarily antsy, but he didn't play his best game. I think his stats would bear that out. You know, for him to complete maybe a little over fifty percent of his passes, I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> rotten day for him. But uh, more importantly, were those two red zones possessions and to me those were so critical and you guys know i have harped on this all year long if aaron Rodgers plays the matt lafleur offense the way that it's meant to you hand the ball off utilize the winning game running game you go back quickly go through reads and you get it to any guy who's open Aaron Rodgers and this offense are unstoppable, but two times in the end zone, it's straight passes. And, you know, that was two possessions with three passes attempted to who? Devontae Adams. Uh, you're wrong about that. Well, five of them were to Devontae Adams. Five, there you go. Okay. okay. <laughs> but the point is, he's he was forcing the ball. He was doing Absolutely. those old Aaron Rodgers habits. That cost us two touchdowns. That's huge. That's 14 points versus six. That eight-point swing wins us the game. If, if you if you had happened to see my post from Tuesday where I, I picked like three plays, I picked that one play where, you know, Devontae does that kind of like a squaring and up and in, into the end zone and Rogers right. throws it, but he catches it out of the end zone. Yeah. Right? On that same play, Alan Lazard over on the right has got man coverage. His, his uh, defender falls down. Falls down. Lazard running across the, the end zone, the, the actual end zone line, completely untouched. And Rodgers is looking that way. I mean, sorry, I don't want to say he's looking that way, but it's in his line of sight. But Rodgers is looking directly at Adams only and just forces that throw. Exactly. And here's Lazard just standing there. Nobody within five, six yards of him on the at the end line, at the goal line. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. The goal line. <laughs> Probably because <laughs> I'm still enraged about it. You are enraged. I am out of shape. But let me I, add to that since we're kind of piling you're fit on. fit to be tied. And I'm fit to be tied. And I think you pay twice for that, t- twice as much for that type of action. I'm making a dodgeball joke and it didn't go over. Anyway. Um, trying to stay PG 13. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> I just had nice. dodgeball quotes in my head all day. Well, anyway. Not to pile on Rodgers, but I'm going to pile on Rodgers. What about near the end of the game? And I think it was when we ended up on at fourth and goal. Right before that, he could have run it in because he was unimpeded to the goal line. He could have just completely walked it in, but he panicked through it, and then it was out of the end zone. It's, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Okay, well, he could have run it if he tried. Yes. If it, um, who was it? Was it uh, Jason Pierre-Paul was yeah. kind of coming across the line, right? So... He probably had the angle on him. He might have had an angle on him. However, all we had to do was just head for the pylon. Yeah. Just head for the pylon. And in effect, JPP would have been chasing him from behind. And then it's a matter of, is JPP faster than than Rodgers? Who knows? I don't know. But in any case, even if he doesn't make it across the goal line, gets tackled at the two-yard line or whatever, 
Now you get a fourth and two. As opposed it's to a fourth and eight. Much different. So I, I think that if that would affect the decision making as well. So And we have AJ know. Dillon who apparently has tree trunks for legs and he and can get hit by the line and then still gets eight yards on the play. Yes, he, however, he makes a great bulldozer impersonation. Yes. However, they never give him the ball on the goal line, which is uh, something which, else. Which boggles my mind because how many times in the game after Jones went out hurt that they tried to run Jamal north and south right up the middle and they got like all of like six inches. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that some of their best runs were on the edge this game, which was really what killed them the first time against Tampa because of their linebackers. They're, you know, linebackers so, are so fast. They got nothing the first game. But this game, they actually had some success because you were getting better blocking from the offensive line was getting to the second level. Might have been the only good thing they did all day. And um, and some of the receivers, they, I think they had worked on getting some of the receivers more involved in blocking on those plays. But still, to your point, to me, this was the perfect game for A.J. Dillon. And instead, they run the ball 16 times total, pass the ball 48 times. You know what, guys? You got way, way away from what got you there. Oh, they painted themselves into a corner. They were definitely outcoached. Yeah, that is not the, the type of offense that got them to the NFC Championship game. You got five wide. You, I mean, I'm enraged, I tell you. <laughs> like they well, were almost, with, with their receivers suddenly blocking, they were almost running a college-style barge formation, which doesn't work in the pros. Well, you know, and, and I don't want to pile on Rodgers any more than we have. Actually, I do. The defense played well. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Obviously, we had some issues uh, with, you know, that end of the second quarter. But in the end, they gave up 31 points to an offense that was averaging over 35 points a game. Is it great? No. Is it good enough to win if our offense is playing the way it should be? Absolutely. But the number one offense in the league didn't pull its weight. I keep seeing all these things on Twitter, people compiling these graphs and saying, let's look at the history of these NFC championship games and look how much the defense on average has failed uh, Aaron Rodgers. But each one of those is a different team. So it's like comparing apples to hippopotamus. But the point is, it wasn't this game. Maybe in the past, yes, the defense fell apart, but not this game. Yes, they gave up 31 points to the number two offense in the league. But we have the number one offense in the league, and it scored, what, 24 points? With so many missed opportunities. And I'm sorry, some of this has to go on Aaron Rodgers not playing the offense the way it's meant to to be played. It's very simple. We can't sit here and defend Aaron Rodgers say we didn't get him another uh, ring. Right now, this game, Aaron Rodgers is wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime. Yeah, I mean, uh, they uh, against the Rams, their offense was the quintessential LaFleur offense. They were doing everything the way LaFleur wants it to be done. And it showed. Against, the Tampa, against Tampa Bay, it was like Rodgers had some Mike McCarthy flashbacks at times, you know, and, and LaFleur as well with all this five wide. I mean, I don't know why the second half of the season they started going empty set, you know, empty backfield and five wide so much. The play action is what worked great. The, the, the rollouts, the play action rollouts, I mean, there's been all kinds of stats on how great Rodgers has been 
throwing from on the run, basically from the you know on, a, on the end of a rollout. They they didn't. I don't know if they did that at all this game. There was nothing there. There was no play. I mean, there was a few, little bit of play action, but no play action in rollouts, which, oh, by the way, also gets you away from those guys that are sacking you. <laughs> I don't, I just don't get it. Don't you know, get I'm, it. I'm looking at his stats and for this game, and it's one of the worst games statistically he had all season. The worst one was, was again, against Tampa as well in week six. But if you're looking, and now where did it go? If any quarterback is attempting 48 passes in a game, that that's not Super Bowl winning offense. No, and his 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 uh, quarterback rating was only 66.8, and his completion he was only completing about two thirds of his passes, where he was upwards of 80 percent in most of the games where we were very successful this year. This was not a good game for Aaron Rodgers. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Cheesehead Radio. We are breaking down. This loss, this NFC Championship game loss, we're now going to play a game of can Kelly get out of her spider web? So we're going to put a timer on the clock. We're going to set the stage, and we're going to talk about that play uh, to go for a field goal at the end of the game versus a touchdown. This brought the game to what with it? Was it to five points? Five points. Five points. Uh, Instead of going for it, which would have possibly tied the game with a two-point conversion. Fourth and goal from the eight-yard line. Kelly is now going to, on the clock, argue why it wasn't a bad decision. All right, we're going to see if she can do it. Kelly, you have one minute starting now. Go. Okay. I'm going to be looking at stats first. As you guys know, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to putting points on the board. I went and looked at the fourth down conversion rate for the Packers this past year, and it doesn't break it down by fourth and goal. Just fourth down as a whole, we were only converting about 61% of the time. So you have the choice of at at fourth and eight, going for it, and a good chance of over half, or almost almost a 50-50, are they going to make it or not? And with the way they're playing, I'd probably be leaning towards not. Meanwhile, you have Mason Crosby, who has not missed a field goal attempt all year. He's that accurate. So even if they scored a touchdown, they would need the two-point conversion to send it to overtime, as CD had predicted last week. Our two-point conversion success rate is only 33%. So at best, they'd score six points. You'd still have to stop the defense either way. So I'm in favor of getting the easy, guaranteed three points on the board, and we'd have to hold them anyhow because there were like two minutes left. Because if you went for for it on fourth and eight and didn't get anything, you're still eight points in the hole. So I don't question his the decision to go for three because either way it comes down to the defense holding them and we didn't. Okay, well, a couple yeah, of things. I'll, I'll give you 25 seconds on your counterpoint. 25 go ahead. seconds. Yeah, this sounds <laughs> like a debate. It should be. It should be all you things. need. <laughs> couple of things. First of all, what happened to all uh, all gas and no brake? What happened? That was, to me, very un like decision. I didn't hate it, but I was just really shocked by it. Like, I can't believe he is doing this. Now, so going for, for the field goal, all right, I didn't like it, but okay. To me, the thing was what you mentioned about the two-point conversion. Roughly about, well, when that drive started, I looked at the score. I see they're down by eight. Okay, they've got the ball. I tweeted out. The last thing I want to see is this 
game come down to the Packers having to make a two-point conversion to tie or to win because they absolutely have been horrendous at two-point conversion. Well, they failed earlier in the game. So, well, I mean, that was a drop pass, but still. But so, in a way, because of that, I said, all right, I can accept them going for the field goal. And if you want to look at it this way, if Kevin King doesn't get called for pass interference on that third down, the Packers would have gotten the ball back with about a minute and a half. And that would have worked. That would have been LaFleur's strategy. It would have worked perfectly for LaFleur's strategy. It didn't happen. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in there. But to me, the scary part was the Packers having to actually make a two-point conversion. And I have zero confidence in them in their ability to do that. And honestly, I was more mad about the first attempt at a two-point conversion that early in the game. Why are you that leaving points up? Why yeah. leave points on the field? That was unnecessary. And who knows, if they were only losing by seven, would they have still kicked a field goal? Or would they have tried for the touchdown on fourth and eight? Who knows? And that is my counterpoint to your counterpoint. And the counterpoint... <laughs> my counterpoint? And, uh, and the counterpoint oh, is, I don't even confused. care about either of those plays because it shouldn't have been to that point in the first place. I mean, when you've got three plays with Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback in the red zone and Matt LaFleur's offense should have never been a thing for us to decide whether or not to kick the field goal. We should have already scored it. Should have already converted to two point conversion. We should have converted on two Jair Alexander interceptions in the end zone, which ended up being three and outs and punts. Yeah. We should have not given up a ridiculous touchdown before the half. We should have not fumbled in the second half and given the Tampa Bay the ball in our in our red zone and had them score one play later. There's a million should haves. Absolutely, so the, it never so should have come down to that. Pissing and moaning about pissing that pass interference. <laughs> about okay, the so pass let's, interference let's, call. I had a friend let's just rip the bandaid off and talk about that pass interference call. No, because it doesn't matter. Because we should have never gotten matter. to that point. Okay, it so never should have been a thing. You we hit on it. We can't sit here and say we have to beat 11 guys and the refs because we know when we play Seattle, we know when we play Tom Brady, we know when we play San Francisco, you have to go in with that attitude. And we shrank from every opportunity. And then we sit here all clutching our pearls, but the pass interference call, they didn't call that all game. Who cares? You should have won the game on all those opportunities that I predicted last week, Tom Brady was going to give us, and we did not take advantage. Well, let's talk about those two interceptions and failing to capitalize. All it ha- did was it shortened the clock. We didn't do ourselves any favors. We did not capitalize on anything. We didn't put even three points on the board. All we managed to do was just take point time off the clock and give it back to the back to the Bucks. Yeah. But yep. it could have been five interceptions if if other people could catch the ball. I mean, who's going to say you know, three you know, three interceptions? You should probably be winning the game. Five potential interceptions. We should have hung fifty points on them, but we didn't. Exactly. A lot of shoulders. All right, guys. So as you can tell, I'm I'm fired up. Let's all take a breath. Let's all let's all find our happy space, and we're going to talk about a much more relaxing subject now. Oh no. <laughs> this shouldn't get our blood pressure going at all. Oh, no. Aaron Rodgers does a post-game interview he by his down. own admission. By his own admission, he had just got done crying in the locker room 15 minutes earlier. 
comes out and does a press conference. And says he is definitely things. a Debbie Downer in that press conference. Yeah. Says As he things. should be. If he looks happy in that press conference, there's something really wrong. Go ahead, yes. Susie. And this has taken on a life of its own in just the three days since the game. No, no, CD, it's not a life of its own. It's a business. It it's a now business. it's now the Aaron Rodgers Enterprises business. So Rodgers has this press conference, and basically he says, and I, I tweeted this to all the knuckleheads who were panicking at the time, all he did was say what he said all season. Like, you know, there's no there's no absolutes, basically. You know, I, I plan on being here, but who the hell knows? Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's what he was saying. And he's just being calm, zen, realistic Aaron Rodgers. And at the well, same time, though, uh, Al, I, 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 I have to disagree with that. Part of me took what he was saying no different than any of us after a loss going, God, I hate football. You know, a little hyperbolic, but... Not really of any substance. Um, okay. I don't think that's really disagreeing with what I said, but I think that's adding on. But so in any case, so he, he says a few things and people are like, oh, my God, it sounds like Rogers doesn't know if he's coming back. Oh, my God. And it takes on a life of his own. So a good five minutes later, the guy I just said we were going to talk about, Florio, has a, has a post ready. Future possible destinations for Aaron Rodgers. So that gets the ball rolling. And since then, we've seen other examples. We've seen Jason Lacanfora. Um, Packers and Rodgers are near divorce. And then he says something like, Aaron Rodgers seems to be enjoying the drama surrounding him, milking it even. And then followed up today, I see Barstool with a with a with uh, an article, NFL exec, quoting a supposedly anonymous NFL exec, exec saying, that thing is going to new, going to go nuclear. Trust me, the quarterback wants out. So we got this whole industry going. This whole use Aaron Rodgers' name to get clicks and make money industry. And it's taking on a life of its own here, okay? And it's just it's just sickening. It's the type of stuff about Twitter and the internet that just drives me freaking insane. And guess what? It enrages me. <laughs> This is is something that's unique to just about every fandom out there, whether it's a franchise like Star Wars or Marvel or sports. There's this negativity groundswell of pundits that get lots of clicks, whether it's sports writers or some jack wagon on YouTube that will say the most inflammatory stuff because you want to see if it's true or not. You click on it. Here's my advice. Don't click on it. It's clickbait. It all is clickbait. Well, but I, I think it's more than that this time. You know, this is striking me more like Brett Favre in 2008, you know, when everything was going down. And ESPN, you know, used to have their little crayons at the bottom, and they'd go from the NBA to the NHL to Major League Baseball. And then there was an entire category called Favre. Because he, he, it wasn't even NFL anymore. It was Favre was his own category. And... <laughs> That's kind of where we are right now with Rogers. It's it's there's some level of history repeating itself, not in terms of what Rogers himself is doing, but in this manner that he's becoming this ground zero of media attention that I don't know if he even wants. Um, I, I would hope he doesn't want it, but I mean, I suppose you never know. I suppose anyone's ego can get a little big when you're you know a three time MVP or about to win your MVP award, but. 
Well, he, the did, Elf, he, the Elf, he did blast the whole thing on the yes. Pat McAfee show. Which was so I don't think he wants one of the most refreshing things I think I've seen in a long time. And honestly, I took what he said on the McAfee show of, I'm not going anywhere unless they show me the door. Mm-hmm. Of course. And I think that's what you have to say. Because he could have finished the season last year and said, yes, I plan to finish my career in Green Bay. And everyone goes, okay, Packers draft Jordan Love. This puts, as even Andrew Brandt has said, it puts a stopwatch. It puts a countdown clock on his time here. So what is he supposed to say this year? I plan to retire here in age 43 like Tom Brady in six years. He can't say that with all assurity because he knows the Packers have Jordan Love. And he knows now the future is a little less certain. So yeah, he gives a, a qualifier. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I'll be here. I hope I'm here. <laughs> you know, and then all of a yeah. sudden the morons go out there and start, like I said, making their click money off it. Yeah, and you know, this is the year that he has found himself, right? According to him, he's found some kind of zen or, or inner peace where he looks at things differently than he did before and and in a much calmer way and in a much well i I, there are things i don't have control over and i'm not going to really get crazy about them we'll just let life play out and see what happens and that's really all he has said all year and that's all he said in that press conference afterwards was you know we'll just i i don't see any change but we'll just let things go (laughs) let let life happen basically and And this is this is different than Favre, where he was playing the will I or won't I retire game year after year. Yeah, it's it's nowhere nowhere near that. Um, Favre commented on the whole thing today. I saw a little three-minute uh, snippet of him, and the first thing out of his mouth was, just ignore all this stuff. <laughs> you know, just ignore it. It's meaningless. It means nothing. And then he w- went on to say, of course, the Packers want him back, and of course, the Rodgers wants to be back. And and this is Favre. Matt Lafleur said he wanted him back too. Well, I mean, it's silly that we're even having to say that. Okay, it's ridiculous that we even have to say that as if we have to prove ourselves. No, but but that's the point. But it's the point that we as Packer fans react, and they know because I mean, what other fan base sends death threats to the players after we lose? So we know already we got a couple screws loose in the fan base as well. We're all amped up because we're incredibly loyal, passionate fans. They know where their bread is buttered. They don't do this with Raider fans. They would say, ah, the Raiders suck and the quarterback's going to leave. The Raider fans go like, yeah, you're okay. probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder who they, we'll get next that we'll be disappointed in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do with Packer fans. They know we scream and we cry. And I said it. I said it right after the game. I said, would everyone please just mute, block, uh, Florio and Pro Football Talk, so I don't have to see anything on my timeline. I don't want to see you retreating it. I don't want to see you responding to it. I don't want to see people commenting on it. And guess what happened? Everybody, Everybody was retweeting it. reacted because they know we will. And Pavlo's you know what? Dog. These guys get paid by it, by how much they have interactions. It doesn't have to be positive interactions. Being Pissing off the fan base gets clicks and these guys get paid i don't think we have to do uh hot pockets this week because i think we've just spent this entire episode ranting i figured this is one giant (laughs) giant giant rant 
I think we're good. You know, I think I'm going <laughs> to... Let's shift gears. A couple of quick news items. Mm-hmm. And then I think we can uh, possibly wrap this up. First of all, one that uh, I think most people will be happy about, I mean, except for his family and himself, is <laughs> Sean Menenga is out as the special teams coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. That news just came across earlier today. Tom Pelissero and Rob Demosky confirmed it. So for a and, team, and I think that a, a Mr. Meningitis, as Kelly likes to call him, is <laughs> like you know what he was so bad this year. I didn't bother committing to knowing his. It's awful of me, but why is special teams our Achilles' heel year after year? We got rid of Zook. We got rid of Slocum. When do we stop the hemorrhaging? Why is it always so bad? And if I remember, when Zook left, uh, his his special teams was ranked 32nd in the league. Uh, Meninga's team, I think, went up to 27th, and now 20. I think it was it. That's like a D minus. So, uh, that is not this a year good was rating. 20. This year was 29th. Right. Last year, 26th. Right. So I mean, we're still in the bottom. We're consistent. Yeah, Consistently bottom quarter of the league. Yeah. But this has been consistent for years, and and I'm a strong believer that. You know, when a coach has two things, he has the ingredients and and you have the cook and your special teams. If you go back to 1996, I mean, think of the guys who made up that special teams. You got a couple skill players. You got your returner, you got your punter, you got a kicker. You maybe have a little specialty with your long snapper and holder, but everyone else is just guys gunning and blocking and doing everything they need to do. Is this a problem with the cook? Or is this a problem consistently with the ingredients and how they're being coached? I mean, do we just not have enough talent or the right talent to play special teams? Well, I, we have a good kicker. There's no doubt about that. Our punter averaged 46 yards a punt this season. We always get dazzled by his one punt that's like 60 yards. But a- other than that, he's happily mediocre most of the time. And he gets even worse once the weather drops below freezing. So there's a problem right there. We did not have an effective gunner this year, I don't think, or a consistent one for that matter. And then fielding kicks and fielding punts were abysmal. You know, we were back to where we we, we signed Irvin last year when we were cheering and excited because we gained three yards. Is that how low our expectations have gotten that we're, we're cheering over three stinking yards? And I do believe that uh, Desmond Howard is not Desmond Howard if he doesn't have guys like Bernardo Harris... Mike Pryor, uh, Brian Williams, if he doesn't have those guys out in front of him doing the blocking, uh, you're not going to get those great runbacks. So I, I, I think there's, yes, it's the skill positions. Everyone's talking about maybe picking up a returner in the draft. You still got to have the guys that play well on special teams. Because this year and last year, it really felt like special teams were the guys that got picked last in kickball. It's like, oh, okay, I guess we'll give you this job. Or when you're in third grade, you get put in the outfield because no one's going to hit it that far, so you don't have to worry about you dropping the ball or not catching it. It just seems like the guys, the elephant, it was the elephant graveyard of players for the Packers this past year. All right. Al, you want to take us through our second news item? Yeah, second news item. Um, Leroy Butler, unfortunately, looks like he has not been named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. Uh, he tweeted about it. He was positive, saying not this year, and thanked everybody. And, you know, he's just typical Leroy Butler, just as positive as can be. Um, it was definitely a snub. I think anybody who knows what Leroy Butler did and, and uh, know that he was on the, 
the only member of the all-decade team that isn't in the Hall of Fame knows that he was snubbed. But to next year will be another year, and, and hopefully they'll write that wrong. And he won't have to wait as long as Jerry Kramer did, right? I certainly hope not. You know, friend of show Wes Honkowitz posted today that he pointed out Super Bowl 32, the one that the Packers were not successful in. He pointed out there was one safety that the opposing team game planned to avoid. And that was the only player on the Packers team they tried to avoid. And that was Butler. You know, he really was an impact player. And it's really sad that he's getting snubbed again. Yeah. Well, and I guess finally we'll talk about uh, the guy that we've talked about a few times. That's Mike Pettin. Uh, yeah. We've not so heard a firing announcement for him. Haven't heard anything yet. LaFleur is talking to all his coaches, you know, going through the end of year interviews and whatnot. I have a feeling that Pettin was probably up next after Menenga. So, you know, he might be still talking right now for all we know. But uh, as you said, nothing, no news has broken yet about anything happening there. Interesting thing is, though, and uh, Rob Domofsky um, tweeted this out, is that Pettin really doesn't have a contract anymore. He, he, he uh, declined a contract extension saying he wanted to just coach this year and then see how things work out. So basically, he doesn't even have to be fired. <laughs> if if Matt LaFleur doesn't want him back, he can just say, okay, well, thank you, Mike. It's been fun. Uh, your contract's done. And, uh, you know, that's it. And I'm apparently today years old realizing that assistant coaches had contracts. I just always thought that they worked at the, you know, as long as the head coach wanted them to. So that was news to me. So why wouldn't he, why would he let it expire? Is he thinking he'd get a better deal or is he want to shop himself around or did he just see the writing on the wall? This is really an interesting question. Maybe he's just tired of coaching, right? I, I'm, I'm sure he's getting tired of the criticism. <laughs> I think, didn't he take some time off? For coaching, like after the Jets, didn't he take like a year off? He or am I thinking yeah. of somebody else? I was actually really surprised, and I think you guys remember me being fairly passionate that he really should have been canned at the end of last season. And it's really hard to come back and start the season and have people yelling, fire Petten, fire Petten. You're not going to fire a coach midseason. You have to do it at the end of the season. You can't put you know, head coach or coordinator position in limbo like we did with Mike McCarthy. Um, I, I expect him. I expect that this contract has run out. And I, I really can't I really can't imagine what the fan reaction would be if after the season his contract has run out and we say, oh, we're now going to not only going to not fire him, we're going to extend him. We're going to sign a new contract. I, I have to think he's gone. Yeah, he, I just double-checked, too. Um, he was... He was head coach of the Browns from 2014 to 2015. I season. completely forgot he was a head coach. I am right? so bad. Uh, he did nothing in the 2016 season. In 2017, he worked as a consultant for the Seahawks. And then in 2018, he became the, the Packers defensive coordinator. So basically, he took one year completely off and a second year worked as a consultant. So maybe... You know, maybe it's just coaching isn't really appealing to him anymore. So he's kind of going out with a whimper, not really a bang. Then if he, yeah. if he just does not elects not to, or we elect not to, to renew his contract, it's, it's kind of different than getting fired. It's just kind of like he faded away. Yeah, strange. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Cheesehead Radio as we come to the end of our 11th season. 
make sure to head over to PackersTalk.com where you can explore several unique Packers podcasts. Please follow at PackersTalkNet on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Cheesehead Radio and all Packers Talk podcasts can be found on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcatching app. And if you like what you heard, show us some love and uh, leave a review. You can also find us on Siri, Alexa, or Google just by saying, Play Packers Talk Podcast. The season's over. It's a sad wrap. Go Pack Go. Till next year, go Pack Go. Cheesehead Radio. 